0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is, of course, your host, Benji. Uh, Let's get into it many of you have at some point uh, pondered the idea of supercharging your growth by buying another business like maybe there's a friendly competitor in your market who you know runs a pretty good shop but is approaching retirement age um another scenario perhaps you'd like to expand into the next town over but you don't want to go through the grueling and painful startup journey again and honestly i don't blame you it sucks um There is huge potential upside to actively investing in a business where you yourself have the experience and industry knowledge required to systemize and scale it versus just like passively parking your hard-earned dollars in a stock portfolio or other asset class. If you possess an entrepreneurial mindset, there's a good chance that some version of this thought has crossed your mind. So to shed some light on what growth by way of acquisition Actually, looks like we're really excited to speak with Jason Paris today. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Jason started his career in the trades in 2006, making eight bucks an hour as a painter. Six years later, in 2012, he started Paris Painting in Minneapolis, and he's since scaled that business um, to be doing ten million dollars a year in revenue. He successfully Put a GM in place and removed himself entirely. It's super impressive. With his newfound free time and creative spirit though, he and a handful of uh, partners have founded Olive Holdings. It has kind of weird spelling. It's A-L-E-P-H, pronounced, uh, pronounced olive, like all of us. And what they do is they buy equity in already operational painting businesses and then grow those businesses into super stable cash flowing assets. So, By partnering with a hands-on business owner who's already gotten the ball rolling, so to speak, they basically skip the excruciating startup phase, and they're able to truly utilize their unique abilities, um, which is systemization and scaling. In other words, they find entrepreneurs who've taken the business from zero to one, And by joining forces together, they take it from one to 10. It's a win-win scenario for everyone, and it's an extremely strategic way of building wealth by playing to one's strengths. We're really excited to have him on the show to explain how all of this works. So if you've ever played around with the idea of buying another business, you're going to love this episode. Here were some of the highlights for me personally. Jason talks a lot about the importance of having philosophical alignment um, and how ego, makes most business owners ineligible for this kind of partnership. He also breaks down exactly how he and his partners evaluate businesses and come up with an offer, and then he explains the thorough due diligence process that follows. Um, And at the end of this episode, at the very end, he gives some unbelievable advice to any entrepreneur considering this avenue for growth. So make sure that you listen to the whole thing.
1: Jason, welcome to the show.
2: Awesome. Glad to be here, man.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, For listeners, if you are not watching this on video, I do need to point out as we start that I'm the only one here without a mustache today. (laughs) uh, Might as well get out.
2: (laughs) Just leave. Or get get to work. Or get to
1: work. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We're pumped to have you. Uh, This is going to be such a fun and exciting episode. So let's
0: dive into it. Yeah, Jason. um, So I just want to start with an easy one. Why did you start all of holdings and, and like, what's the overall goal?
2: Yeah. So fundamentally, uh, even at its foundation, it was to build stable assets with others. And so that's kind of like the why it's also the goal, right? It's, and just to break that sentence apart, building stable, right? Not just assets, but stable assets and then doing it with others as opposed to on your own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, like, like longer term, what is the strategy behind that like mission statement you you guys are just for yeah. for listeners who maybe don't know very much about it, you guys are yeah. essentially a holding company holdings company you you're you're um you're creating sort of opportunities to buy or take take partial ownership with uh with smaller businesses locally and and I think further away as well, just like break yeah. down the model a little bit,
2: yeah, so I'd say like really again fundamentally really breaking it down where private equity that is active in our investments right and so when you're a holdings company you know you can buy whatever you want you can buy uh maybe stock in coca-cola we could go and buy uh, a lumber mill you know 20 percent equity in a lumber mill down the street uh we're choosing to focus specifically on residential repaint companies Uh uh, because those are things that we can be very active in so we're active uh investors in in uh companies, what's the
0: what is the value proposition of this model for you guys, and and sort of what's in it for the business yeah. owner? Like, why why does this make sense for both parties? In other words,
2: so for us, it's I guess you'd call it specializing, right? So we're we're all pretty. And this, you could kind of put, put this on both sides. But we're all pretty competent human beings. We all, uh, Canada's, you know, very similar to the U.S. But I'd say U.S. is a land of opportunity, right? So there's a million different things that we could lay our hand to and, and find success and and thrive. But the ability to specialize is is focus on what you're really, really good on, and then leverage those around you uh, that have complementary skill sets. So for us, we're really good at scaling businesses to maturity, right. and we can do the whole founding thing. We've done it a handful of times. We've done it with Paris Painting. We've done it with Haven Builders here in the Twin Cities. But the ability for us to specialize on the scaling portion of a company's lifestyle, its life cycle, Mm -hmm. that's really the value to us. To uh, like a founder or someone we're partnering in with, the value prop is really their ability to collapse time and de-risk the process. Right. So I guess maybe to back up one step, you kind of have to start with the assumption, which is part of a filtering process. But Does that founder want us to build their company to maturity to where it's a stable asset? Mm -hmm. And that is um, kind of, you know, it's very different than what you call lifestyle business. So, lifestyle business is where you can, so, a great lifestyle business is one where you work work very little and you make a lot of money. Right. Right. So, I don't work that hard, but I make a lot of cash. uh, But at the end of the day, I own an awesome job. Right. It's not a stable asset. A stable asset is something where you're, equity produces a profit independent of your energy and effort. Mm -hmm. When you have a lifestyle business, you actually have like a a boosted income because your profitability uh, comes from your equity, but it's dependent on your energy and effort uh, producing that result. So the ability for them to de-risk that kind of end stage. So it's more likely that you'll achieve that goal when doing it with others, specifically others that have done that um, before you. But then also collapsing time. Right? You're more likely to do it on a quicker time horizon with others, specifically those who have done it, than if you try to embark on that process on your own.
0: Yeah, it's like you know the the these business owners get it from just to like throw out some you know random numbers. It's like they get it from zero to a hundred. You guys help them take it from a hundred to a thousand. Like there's sort of a, a different range that that your skill set really um, allows you to add value to. Is there something about um, that startup phase that you guys, you know, are trying to avoid? Is there something that you don't like about <laughs> it? Like I, we've yeah. all, we've all like done the ground up, start a business thing. I certainly yeah. know how I feel about doing it. It's very, very difficult. I wonder if there's, uh, you know, some, some, you know, you strategically missing it for some reason.
2: Yeah. So there's certainly, I mean, it's hard work. There's probably no other way to put it. It's, we, we refer to it as brain trauma, there is brain trauma that happens when you want to found a company and take it from, you know, zero to one. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, again, we're all capable of doing that in life. It's just after you've done it a handful of times, it's not something that you volunteer for if you don't have to, and, uh, you know, it's something that we want to honor. And that's why when we partner with companies, we come in and make a a financial purchase and acknowledgement of here's the momentum that you've created, despite it not being, you know, maybe an asset that someone would typically purchase, uh, we believe that our unique ability to come lean in and drive it to that point is something that we're willing to at least acknowledge what's been you know built in value so yeah. far. Yeah.
1: And are, sorry, quick question here, Jason. When you um, yeah. w- when you say like you guys take a fairly active role when you when you purchase a business, t- tell me a bit about like yeah. what do you guys as an organization do? Like, w- what do you mean by the term active? What level of involvement do you have? Whether it's active operationally or like as a really in depth advisor, what does your organization's role look like in one of these businesses after acquisition?
2: That's a that's a really good question. So I talked about you know at our core we're private equity that's active in our investments, and so. You know, we're trying to make good investments, and we believe that the best way for us to do that is to do something we have domain expertise in, where we're domain expertise in where we can affect the outcome of our investment. So there's a number of different ways we can do that. I'd say paradigm par- kind of start from the paradigm of we're coming in as a minority investor, uh, which means we're not going to run the company for the founder. Right. right? Mm-hmm. If we were a majority owner, we would pro- we would run the company for all the shareholders. Uh, but whoever the majority shareholder is, they're going to run the company. So we're we're in a sense taking that advisory role. But there's a different there's kind of a different strat, different layer then that that adds on where a lot of people aren't just asking for advice or the models or here's how you do it. They want someone to do it with them. Right. And that's the gap that we're trying to fill. Is is you know typically if someone wants to be told how to do something, they're going to join BTA. Right. right? And then you guys have taken people and showed your I mean your your numbers speak for yourselves. And as far as how you can bring people to success, there are some individuals who maybe they want to get to a, a separate tier, a different tier, or that model isn't. They just want someone to do it f- with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes they want to do some things for them. And right. that's where we will lean in. It's kind of up to the founder to what extent they want us to be involved, but it could be, we're always going to do the, the baseline things like build out a VTO together, craft a one year plan, go do quarterly reviews, have a weekly call of strategy, you know, solve the big fires together. Uh, but maybe they need someone to fly in, uh, recruit, hire, and train a sales rep, because they know how to do it. They're just not going to do it. Mm. <laughs> and as a partner, it's kind of like I would be. I would love it if you would do it. If you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Right. That's a very, the very important thing for me to do. There's one other example for a guy I was talking to in St. Louis. He was telling me, you know, he's very stale. He's very production restrained, so he can sell to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, this year, I'll probably sell $600,000 more than I can produce. I'm like, well, I'll just tell you, uh, that's an issue that, uh, everybody who is a shareholder in your company is very motivated to solve. (laughs) Right. And uh, if you're not going to solve it, I'll just tell, I'll be honest with you right now. We're going to solve that because there's a very large incentive for us to figure that out. So those, that's kind of like, I don't know if that answers your question. I think mm-hmm. it does. I kind of totally. described like philosophically. Yeah. We come in as a minority partner, so we're not taking over full operational control. That remains, you know, that's in the in the seat of the founders' hands. Yeah. Uh, but they, we are at their disposal to fill the gaps. We come in expecting that there's gaps to be filled. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to partner with us.
1: Yeah, totally. So you're you're a very very active investor. Like you you own equity in it. You are advising, not only just at a high. Like high level strategically, but but on day to day day to day sometimes, but definitely weekly yeah. type of like accountability. Like we were all in college for painters, yeah. kind of like a general right. manager would do with a franchisee. We're holding exactly. accountability weekly, but as needed, you'll also dive in and roll up your sleeves and yeah. just, just make big moves happen when you need to to open to, to, to unplug a restrainer.
2: Oftentimes, for the be- it's kind of like if we step back as investors and look objectively at the business, we kind of look at it and say, here's the state of the state. Here's a big rock we need to develop. And let's mm-hmm. go back to the sales rep, sales rep one, because it's an easy one to do. This company needs to, you know, we have the playbooks that that you've gotten through the partnership and you have everything, everything spelt out. We've got a learning management system and all that's there for you. But someone is going to have to train this new sales rep. Founder, are you going to do it? No. All right. Founder, I would recommend that you hire somebody to do that. You can go to the market and find somebody. I'll just tell you we're we're willing to do that. Right. Uh, and it, and it, and someone's gonna have to fill that gap. Yeah.
0: You're you're you you guys have skin in the game. There's enough motivation at times to do it yourself. <laughs> Hopefully not to an extreme degree. It's actually, but
2: yeah, that some of the conversations we've had is like so whoever the manager of the company is, typically the majority shareholder, it's ultimately, you know, their responsibility to get things done. And if something doesn't get done, you know, as a shareholder, it's not my fault, but it, now it is my problem. Yeah, right. right? And that's kind of when you have a, a co-owner or you have partners, it's it's kind of nice. And I've experienced this with Paris Painting. It's kind of nice when it's other people's problems, too, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not just all on my shoulders. It's not just my my issue. I have other very incentivized shareholders who are going to solve this issue not because it's their job, not because they want to, uh, but because they, they have to. a lot of yeah. wealth. That's a lot of equity, like just real ownership, and yeah. how this gets resolved.
0: So, um, in a minute here, we're going to dive into like how you evaluate the due diligence process, how you guys scale from there. I'm looking forward to that. But just before we go too deep into this, for yeah. um, for our listeners. Um, Who, you know, a lot of them, most of them, I'm gonna say all of them, probably aren't, you know, in a position like you where they've like really successfully scaled their business already, stepped out of it to some degree. They've started a holdings company. They they are um they are on the journey that you were on however many years ago. Um and 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 you know, working their asses off to 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 build their dreams. So for someone in that position, at that stage in the trajectory, just sort of like summarize um, for their learning the overall like pros and cons of this type of model. Like what is good and what is not so good about buying up businesses and absorbing them and sort of plugging into the back and helping them grow. What's what's good and what's not so good about doing that?
2: Yeah, I kind of talk about what's good and not good on, on each side of the equation, right? And so what's not good is that you lose control. Right, uh-huh. and there's this kind of um, continuum of freedom and control that you have in your company, and uh, when you take on partners or when you engage yourself into a partnership, sometimes you're giving up quite a bit of control. Yeah, right? you inherently, definitionally, are giving up some control, but you're also gaining some freedom. Right, and it kind of comes up to a personal temperament. Um, probably a very dramatic or kind of rough way to describe it would be you give up ego and i say that not to bash or put down Mm -hmm. um anybody or or any scenario but i just can speak to to myself i've had to have my ego die quite a bit as i've taken on partnerships Mm -hmm. right right so out of necessity yeah yeah it's kind of it's just it's inherent in the fact that you are no longer the sole decision maker You now have a fiduciary responsibility to other shareholders. Mm -hmm. Some of that you lose a little bit of ego, as opposed to being, you know, Mister Paris with Paris painting, and that's all that you're all that you're involved in. Yeah. Um, You know, the pros are collapsing time, right? Collapsing time. Uh, You're now engaging in a scenario where you're working with partnerships, and depending on what side you're in, you're either able to help them see around the corner and see through the fog. Mm. Um, or paradox that you've taken on a partner who can now see around the corner and see see through the fog because the scale of painting company to stability is pretty rare as you mentioned it's very very rare and you have these different tranches of infrastructure and pain and you can kind of batch that with pain that you have to grow through and a lot of people you know death valley the first death valley that a lot of painting contractors hit you'd call it like 750 grand to 1.5 million somewhere in there where they first start to take on that overhead. So they've maxed, they have their core team. They've maximized the output of that infrastructure and they now need to add more infrastructure on and they're actually going to make less money until they grow through that curve. Totally. And that's, that's like the death valley that everybody talks about. Mm -hmm. We're like, Oh, I'm making less money. I'm just going to go back to like my core operation. There's several of those tranches and death valleys on the way of stability. And each one requires a commitment to grow through it. As well as the okay. the trauma of going through that pain, and sometimes learning things the hard way, right? And that's part of the value of taking on a partner. Is if you have someone who's gone through that before you, and can see through see around the corners, see through the fogs, it's a much smoother ride uh, than trying to do that on your own and, and learn from your own mistakes.
0: Yeah, you're you're kind of sitting there going, you know, almost speaking back in time to your old self going like, Hey, hang. (laughs) I know this is scary right now. Hang in there because this is, you know, what the greener pasture on the other side looks like. And these are the steps that when executed are going to get you there. And I think that that's, I think that really summarizes it very, very well, especially for the small business owner who, who partners up with you guys that that's, what's in it for them.
1: Yeah. 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 It's very interesting. Um, I've got a really, I got an important question for you. So I'm thinking about this from a, from a perspective of um, of a business owner that runs a contracting company, painting or otherwise. Um, yep. You know, I think very few people listening to this, uh, potentially very few, are are going to go and create what you guys are creating in the form of like like a holding investment company, where where you take an investment and mm-hmm. in an active role in 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 coaching and leading and training and being active in the business, but. Um, You know, as a painting contractor, I'm going to have companies all around me in my area, let's say competitors or otherwise, that are going to get to the end of their owner's life cycle, whether it's that the owner is getting older or they have some sort of life event that prompts them to want to exit. Um, yep. Tell yep. me a bit about like if, if I'm in in if I'm in that position, I'm growing my business. I've got competitors that, that could be in this situation, which does happen all the time, by the way. Mm-hmm. What yeah. types of businesses and what types of entrepreneurs are worth looking at as a candidate for something like this? If I wanted yeah. to grow by acquisition, and I don't mean that in a very complex. This is not like Elon Musk taking over Twitter here. This is like right. like <laughs> I you know if if, if I want to grow by acquisition. In in the context of a relatively simple contracting company, what does it look like to do that right off the bat? What type of business and what type of entrepreneur am I looking for?
2: That's a great question. I think it starts with with just healthy conversations and getting to know people and just deciding, you know, philosophically, is this person in your market someone that even wants to partner? Mm-hmm. Right. And I kind of talked about those, those, that kind of strata of control and freedom and Man, contracting is a unique world <laughs> right now sure as we is. talk in the the 2020s of of Northern America, and uh, most people are ego driven. I'm just going to say it what it is. And uh, philosophically, most most are not going to want to partner or ever take on a partner or ever even kind of survive the the ego trauma that's going to enter when you take into a partnership. So if you're if you're looking around your your area, I'd first say, is this someone that's open to taking on a partner? And could their ego handle that trauma that happens there? And probably the second part would be, is this person open to even to feedback and change? because yeah, mm. you want to come in as like a little bit of a domain expert and say, I'm going to give some input. I'm going to lean in because I want to affect the value or the outcome of my investment. And uh, if that person's going to be very standoffish, you know, it's going to be you're making an investment and then just crossing your fingers. I'd recommend you do that with Apple or Tesla or or uh, you know any of, any other <laughs> kind of stock. The reason you do it with a painting company in your area or a contracting company in your area is because you believe you can affect the outcome of that investment. But that founder totally. has to be open and willing to receive that input and that change. Um, as far as you know what it what the types look like, there's kind of three that I've seen, and I'll just be very open book with you guys. We're very uh, early on in our endeavors. We're probably two quarters into it, so. Um, I've actually been saying this exact line for the last five years, which is, if you want to talk about something in progress, talk to me now. If you want to be impressed, come back six months later. And uh, but I say mm-hmm. that every six months. So <laughs> I would say the avatars right now is we have kind of someone who's on the upswing, right? But they're eager and they're and they're hungry, right? And so. There's someone that looks up to you in your area. Mm-hmm. They're they're gapped, as you would say. So they establish, they understand there's a gap between where they are and where they want to get to, uh, but they're really open and really excited. That's someone you'd want to partner with because you're really buying into that person, or that individual, right? As an integrator or a driver, and you believe that as you come around them with your infrastructure. Uh, that you can help them be more successful.
0: Is this typically like a younger man or woman? That's like they're they're sort of like earlier on in their. We're well, not necessarily younger, but they're they're yep. younger in their journey. Like they could have started the business later in life, but there's they're more they're right. a more junior. I was going to say there's never say. like an
2: ageism thing that could. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, uh, but so, it's kind of like yeah, like early in the business cycle. So you could say like between years, you know, zero and three. So they've gone through some trauma. Right? They've experienced the pain. Uh, if they have a spouse or a partner, that person has seen them go through that as well. And they're like, man, I know where I want to get to. And I know it's not going to be easy. <laughs> I'm very gapped in uh, what I've gone and built and how hard that's been and how blind I am to what it's going to take. But I know it's going to be really hard. And I'd love to do that with somebody as opposed to continuing this journey on my own. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. one of our partners that we've taken on just uh, to describe them to a T.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a great way to look at it, right? Like you're going to deploy capital. Like you take the profit coming out of your company and you can deploy it into passive investments. Like you can, you know, buy, you buy shares in but Home De- Depot for as a simple example. Right. And you don't have any kind of active involvement. Um, this is different where you're looking for someone, some good terms that you put out there, like they're hungry, they're eager, they're open to learning from you. And it's something where you feel like you can really, you can really impact.
2: Right. What, and I'll give two other. I was gonna yeah. say, give two other avatars. I'll be pretty quick and succinct with them. There's, you know, the person who's stagnanted as well, right? So someone who's been at that same rock for mm-hmm. you know three to five years, and they want more for their team is typically what I've found in conversations. You know, they're very comfortable. They have a nice lifestyle business. They work not that hard and make a lot of cash, but they see the opportunity in the team that they have, and they know that they may not be the person to take their business to the next level to capitalize on those individuals. Um, And then the third avatar, the third person would be like the downswing. Someone's at the tail end of their career. They've had a great living, made made a lot of money, but they know the business is going to close in the next three to five years because they're not that enticed to continue to be active. Mm -hmm. Um, So those would be the three kind of things you'd look for in your market. Um, A lot of it's going to come down to philosophy, right? Does that person want a partner? Do they have that ego to freedom, uh, ratio that you can start to engage with them on? And are they going to be open and willing to receiving your input and your feedback if you're going to come in as a, an active partner.
1: Right. I do want to actually ask, this is a really important question. Just on that last one, you talked a bit about that third avatar, someone that's on the downswing. So again, coming back to my original question of like, I run a contracting business. Um, I operate in a specific area. There is potentially a competitor in, in, in that geographic zone that is winding down. Um, if that person is going to exit i still am i still looking for an active like for that business to have an active operator inside of it or is it an option potentially to bring them into the fold of my organization and to buy their brand their customers all that kind of stuff
2: yeah i mean there's a million different ways you can structure deals for sure and it's kind of like what is the value that you're going to purchase in that sense cuz sometimes mm-hmm. you just want to buy some 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 ladder steps in infrastructure right? yeah. So you want to take on their labor or their team or maybe some of their marketing it's more of a license deal where you say yeah. i'm going to pay you a license agreement for the next you know five years for for leads that come from your your marketing or your channels right. or your sources um, but ideally if you're going to make an investment in a company uh, if you're going to be a minority investor you'd want there to be some kind of a driver you know sitting in that seat for the next you know, call it one to three years right um if you're going to take on as majority owner and really kind of more of a buyout with them holding a portion of it you know then you have to really look at analysis look and analyze am i ready to take on an active role in that company as the primary driver
0: yeah yeah so what well, very many different ways it can look i i want to highlight a point too that i thought i thought was interesting is like this whole idea of philosophical alignment number one and then yeah. is this person like open to feedback and change number two and there's also a yeah. whole bunch of other steps we'll get into like your due diligence process and how you guys really dot your i's and cross your t's but just on those first two points i mean it's like i kind of see a lot of entrepreneurs um i think like the idea of buying a business is kind of sexy and i think it is kind of (laughs) ego driven like like he says kind of ego driven like people probably dream of saying one day well i bought this business and we just like gobbled it up and took their you know and then we bought another one there's like something very uh you know like macho about that and but so we see this all the time in bta like I'm going to guess nine times out of 10, those turn up, I say with partnerships as well, like I'm going to partner with someone uh, rather than just like like outright buying a business. Um, It's like they six months later have this crazy syndrome of buyer's remorse because they're like, what the hell did I actually buy as far as the organism of the business? And who is this owner that now reports to me and works for me and is totally uncoachable yeah, totally yeah. like, you know, a loose cannon. And now I have this like appendage of a business attached to my, my baby that I'm not really sure what did I buy? Like, you know, uh, something that's going to take me to the moon or did I just buy like a tumor that's now attached to the yeah. company? So I, I, I just think that, you know, for those of you listening, you know, take note of what Jason said, like philosophical alignment is this individual one that's, that's workable
2: really, really important points. Um, let, let's that's move rare. on. To- that's rare in the trades. Just come back to it. Like that is right. a rare individual that's had some success and is going to be open and willing and interested in partnering with other people. And totally. so, like you're talking about these stories, like I entered into that cautiously because you talked about <laughs> like a founder that now is going to report to somebody else. Yeah, like, that's a that's an ego that's an ego hit big time. Yeah, right? it's like well, I used to be the man. It used to be Mr. Johnson Plumbing, and now I'm I'm Mr. Johnson, and now I'm reporting to this partner that I've that I've that I've roped in and 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 uh or kind of worked into and and that's like that's I a gotta rare talk individual to this
1: Paris can guy every week
2: and, <laughs> and yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's like yeah. that's a lot of that's a lot of ego trauma and you got to make sure that they can handle that totally um
1: i got a question here for you just, just moving forward um tell me a bit about like practically speaking like how are you guys finding deals Uh, what is that whole process? How do you even approach these conversations? If I was again, putting myself in the shoes of a, of a fast growing business owner in the, in, in the trades, if I'm going to look at, at acquiring other businesses, um, where do I even begin? How do you guys find deals? What is the strategy? What do these initial conversations look like?
2: Yeah. So a lot of it is relational and I would just say, um, the, the model that we're using in partnerships, that's fair. It's not fairly, it's very intensive. Right, so this is not like a you know sign up thirty franchises and uh, where you get paid from each one and you're just raking in the dough and right. and then you're like hey this is gonna be great I'm gonna tell you what to do and I hope you do it I really hope you do I'm gonna take my royalty check either way <laughs> these are partnerships and it's pretty intensive and it's very there's a lot of uh, concern that should go into that so when you take about like sourcing deals it's not like you want to like blow up I'm a partner and buy all these companies it's gonna be awesome it's like go into that cautiously like we have very uh, I call like muted or kind of conservative goals ourselves, knowing that these are pretty intensive things that you're going to walk into. Mm-hmm. So just transparently, we haven't really promoted it a ton. It's kind of been like, if you know, you know, and it helps that I have a pretty good network with painting contractors. And it's kind of like, Hey, I just, I just want to let you know what we're doing. If you're interested in, in it, uh, I think this is going to be like one of the first couple of podcasts where I actually talk about Olive of openly. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably the extent of like deal sourcing that we're going to be doing. It's like, Hey, it's almost, what's interesting about it, it's not really like a marketing or sales pitch concept. No, because we're the ones that are paying <laughs> in it. Yeah. And I just, I, I uh, want to speak carefully about franchising because I think there are some great franchisors and people that are in franchising who have done well and they do some good things, but just the, the concept of how it's, Pitched is very different. It's not mm-hmm. me receiving a check from somebody. Like, the other you should way. really, yeah. you should really partner with All Holdings because you know our playbooks are great, and you're going to write us a check, and you're going to do so good with our processes and our systems, and we're going to help you. And it's like. You you sell I, I mean quite honestly when I have a lot of these conversations kind of like you sell me like why <laughs> why should all of invest in your company why should we partner with you like why do you think that you're a great company for us to partner with and yeah. uh, so the deal flow it's kind of unique in that in that way it's it's really just an awareness piece of you know painting contractors particularly like do you, are you aware that there's now a holdings company that takes active active roles in the investments that they make and will help you scale to stability like are you yeah. just aware that that exists and. That's probably the extent of the, you know, the deal sourcing or the marketing that we're going to be involved in.
0: It's 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 uh, it's not really marketing in the traditional sense of the word. You're not like you know putting this on blast, trying to trying to generate as many leads as you can, trying to convert as many of those as you can. That would totally backfire. This is a much right. more like like. Quite, you use the word I mean, all muted the risk, or subdued. Yeah. Like it's a quieter approach. It's much yeah. more of like a sniper, like, ah, eh, maybe well, this one rather the, than-
1: The risk is on them and they're the ones paying the money. That's, that's what
0: I mean. So yeah. it's, it's like yeah. you're trying to build relationships. You are trying to source deals, but you're not trying to yeah. do it so much that all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, all of these- Businesses you have no interest in, or, or even worse, making deals with them. So it's it's you know it's it's not marketing. It's some different sort of relationship yeah. building. But I'd
2: say it's large. I mean, you guys are awesome. You're letting me do a podcast. This is super fun. Just like hanging out with you guys in general. But I think the deal sourcing really is just an awareness piece of. Yeah. Hey, you guys know that there's private equity that takes active roles in their investments in in residential repaint. Like, typically, you're never going to sell. minority portion of your painting company to anybody right especially someone that's not going to come and they're gonna and you get to keep majority ownership and and full, and you're gonna be a manager managed llc and you're the manager and and you get to have control like that's typically not going to happen if it ever did happen it'd be at like an extreme discount of price and it's like
0: yeah jason it it it, it, like it like almost never happens we had a really good guest on about six months ago kevin shaw the Mm -hmm. the m&a guy and you know um, I can't remember this statistic, but something like 99% of businesses do not transact for above yeah. zero. Like most of them we're buying. Most,
2: go ahead. Yeah. We're, I'm just, I'm just so passionate about it because painting is not asset minded right now. No, it's build build a job for yourself that, and the, the dream, like the best dream that could ever happen. I don't have to work that hard. and I make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. It's not even just the paradigm of, I can build an asset. And so we're coming in and buying things that quite honestly don't have any value. We're right. coming in and buying things that are not assets, but we are saying we're going to embark on this journey with you to build an asset together. And we sure hope we benefit. We, we are very incentivized to have us benefit. You as a founder are going to disproportionately benefit from yeah. the equity growth and the profitability of it. But just that just that concept of that paradigm to have I want people to start thinking about this business could become an asset, totally. um, as opposed to just a lifestyle business. Well,
0: th- this is what I'm saying, and, and 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 this is why I think your approach is right. Is people entrepreneurs tend to think their businesses are more valuable than they are, like by by many magnitudes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I can see you like know what I you're nodding, like you get it. They're like this is worth yeah. X. It's like you think that, and it's your baby, and and you should, and you should be proud of it. But the you know this is not a seller's market. The, the amount of people kind of going out there, buying up these businesses is a pretty short list. And so a lot of people are forced, sadly, at the end of their career to take what they can get. Um, And I think what you guys are offering is is a really, really, really neat value proposition for both. So that actually segues really well into um, my next question, which is just sort of like the about about the evaluation process. How do you guys evaluate these businesses? What are some really core elements you look for in terms of people, in terms of margins, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of strategy? Like when you look at a business, what's the criteria that make you go yeah, this looks pretty good or eh, not yeah. for us.
2: Yeah, so I can, I'll kind of bullet point this out. You kind of first have the founder themselves, right? So philosophically, do we align? Do they even want to take on a partner? Do they really know what they're asking for? And is this going to work out from a relationship standpoint? And the second part would be like their ethos or what they are, you call it values. And the reason that that one's important is I've done some due diligence and and we've talked to a lot of companies and there's some really interesting businesses out there where like, geez, I can see like, if we came in and partnered, here's how we'd scale it and grow it together. But I'll be completely honest. It's just, I don't want that person in my life. And uh, so part of that evaluation is this, is this someone that you want in your life, right? This is a partnership. This is like, you're you're getting getting really yoked up the next three to five years. It's like, there aren't too many people in your world that you're going to be connecting with more, and uh, so it's kind of like, do I want this? Do I want to invite this, either benefit or chaos bomb, into my life? Mm-hmm. Right. That should be another big bullet point that you start to look at. Right. Then when you start to evaluate the company itself. You're really buying momentum, right? Momentum in the staff. So, is there a culture in place? And are there some? And you're never going to have all the key roles filled when you step in. If you're going, to, if you if someone's interested in taking on a partner and not doing a full sell. Right, so, you're taking on a partner to grow. They may have some of the key positions filled, but not all. But you're just looking for some sense of momentum. And a big part of the momentum you're going to purchase is a culture, right? Is there a healthy culture that's already established? Again, you're trying to avoid that brain trauma that happens from going yeah. to zero to one, right? You're going to be really, really good at taking it from one to 100. And are you gonna be able to buy some of that culture, some of that staff? Same thing with the brand, right? Is there some kind of a brand in place? Is there a client list? Do you have some kind of marketing that's already established and already rolling? again, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be good. You know, it's definitely not going to be great. But is there something in place that we can at least work with and start to mold and professionalize and polish up? Uh-huh. Right? And then the last thing would be, you know, is there someone that's going to sit as the driver for the next one, two, even three years if it has to be? Typically, that's going to be the founder. right? And that person is likely not going to be the person that sits in the seat to full asset stability as the driver. It's very, very rare that you have a founder that's good at doing everything because you have to be a generalist to get something off the ground, have a very, very high tolerance for pain. If you're going to found a company, you kind of need the opposite person to then scale to maturity, right? You need someone that's extremely specialized in leadership, managing a P&L, and you want someone with a very low tolerance for pain because they want to package everything together that's kind of chaotic that the founder put up with as they're getting it off the ground. (laughs) But you want someone that is at least in place for that kind of next one to three years because... If you're going to come in, I'll just talk about the model that we do, right? We come in as a minority investor, right? We're coming in, we're not going to run the company for you, right? So you have to be committed to driving it for the next one to three years, but we could be committed together to getting you out of that seat and hiring a new integrator or a new president to then scale it to, to full, full stability.
0: That's such an interesting dichotomy that you just mentioned, your perspective on like, uh, Like the skill set to go from zero to one versus one to 10 is like, like, like you make it sound like they're almost opposite ends of the spectrum.
2: That's what I, so I'll just say, that's what I found in Paris painting, right? So I feel like I'm a good founder. Uh, I am pretty much good at everything because you kind of have to be able to, there can't be any major holes, otherwise they'll put you underwater. And I have a very high tolerance for pain. It's just like chaos. It's like, this is great. This is fun. We're in chaos, but we're growing. Example uh, is 50 mile tra-
1: run, trail run last week. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> Right. Yeah. 50 mile trail run. It's like, this is not going to be pretty. This is going to hurt, but I'm just going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. And you're going to make a way to find through it. You have a high tolerance for pain. Right. right. And then our president, whose name is Alex, he's the opposite of me in many ways. Right? He is highly specialized in what he's good at. But there's some things that it's like a complete gap to him like he doesn't know how to spell he uh he pecks his computer with like one finger and uh so like technology is a gap but he is highly specialized he's a savant when it comes to leadership and then managing the profitability you'd say even like problem solving right so he's super specialized and then has a low tolerance for pain where he's like here's a process that we need to tighten up and clean up and i cannot handle this not being perfect and crisp Mm -hmm. and profitable and that's like it's great when you can relinquish what is needed for your company to make that next evolution, right? And it says a founder, like a lot of times people, you'll find this if you, if you, you know, for the people of the, of the audience we're talking to, if you try and partner with somebody, you're going to find that that founder feels like they have to be the person that grows their company's stability. And oftentimes, they're the ones that are the governor, right? They're the ones that are holding their company back from really having that next evolution.
0: Huh. Because yeah. it's
2: inherent in who they are. It's in, it's actually a necessity. They had to be that person. It was a necessity to get them off the ground.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it makes so much sense. And like as you kind of articulate that so clearly, I'm like, it, it's landing on me how clearly we see that all, all the time.
2: I'm sure you guys see it. Yeah,
0: yeah, really. How... Um, how, one thing I'm curious about just on the valuation piece, like how important is like the internal systems? Like like when you look at these businesses, do yeah. you have a checklist that you go through where it's like, okay, CRM in place, operating fully, SOPs dialed in for specific tasks, competency models for the job site, uh, there's a solid training program, we've got an onboarding system here, like sales mm-hmm. process is, is pretty dialed, like is that is that something, the, the way that things happen inside the walls of the company, is that Something that you guys look at closely, or is that like where you add the value later on? I'm I'm curious how important that is when you're evaluating.
2: Yeah, for us it's not, and it's just the model of partnership that we're approaching. So again, we're we are private equity but we're private equity that is active in the investments that we make. Right. So if I was going to make an investment, I'll come back to like a lumber company down the road, right? If I was going to make an investment in that company, I'd be like, okay, do they have management team fully in place? Like, is this stable? Do they have recurring revenue? Do they have their processes dialed in? Because I can come in and advise from a high level, but I'm not going to get active in that business. I'm not a domain expert. Mm-hmm. Right? But when we go and look at a painting company, it's kind of like, you, are oh, the you, domain don't, expert. you don't have a sales process in place and you have one estimator who's been with you for 20 years and you're worried he's about to quit. And uh, his margins are low and you're like, hmm, as an investor, I'm looking at that and like, I think Here's I can, opportunity. I think I can, this is a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I sure hope that I benefit and you as a founder are going disprop- to disproportionately benefit. And you're kind of looking at that and saying, this is a company I want to invest in. I believe that I can right. jump in this company, help improve its value over the long run. Yeah. And uh, it's almost viewed as, it's definitely not viewed as a negative when we see now we're never going to enter into a company that doesn't have some momentum. Right? Sure. So It's kind of like you've established a culture, you've established some momentum with your marketing, right? you've established some, some baseline of like, you're willing to keep running this company, despite the fact that there's all this chaos going on. In some way, that speaks to those three elements that you've built as a founder, even more so, it kind of speaks loudly, uh, that successful despite these things. And so then it kind of, you, you really perk your ears and say, oh, I'm actually really interested in buying that, the things that they've actually established that are valuable, right. that are painful to get off the ground
1: totally so if, if if you're not looking for those kind of things uh, what are you looking for tell me a bit about your due diligence process so you know we, we talked a bit about like like you, you know a lot of these conversations yeah. are open relationally let's say that that, that initial conversation goes a while um, when you dive further like when you look under the hood what are you then looking for what what does this due diligence process look like?
2: Yeah, I'll kind of talk you through the full process, start to finish. So we've discussed that at at length, the philosophical conversations you have. And then you jump into what's called a letter of intent. And that's a non legally binding letter. But it's like, hey, if we're going to go through all the effort of getting to know each other and going through all this, can we at least agree on some baseline things before we get to the signing table? So like one thing that's in there is we set up a, a manager managed LLC and they are listed as the manager. They can run the company however they want. We hope that they're willing to take our input. That's why they're partnering. But there's a couple of things they can't do, like take on debt in our name, right? You can't take out a million dollar loan and then have us be the co-signer of it because we're a 40% equity right. holder in this business. Now, if we get to the closing table and that's a sticking point for them, we would say, no, you can't do that. And it would have been good to know that before, right? right. That's why you sign a letter of intent. Then the very next thing we'd like to get out of the way is the valuation. And the spirit of the valuation is, you know, if they go to a third party broker uh, and get a an valuation, we should we should never be paying anything less than that, right? Mm-hmm. We're probably going to give you the most credit of anybody you'd ever sell a portion of your company to, and the formula is pretty basic. It's a three x multiple multiple of profitability of the company, right. right? And we can certainly look at it and squint and say, oh, but here's some really good value, and and gosh, there's some there's some extra opportunity we should take in, into consideration. I'd say for either side of the transaction, whether you're the purchaser or the seller, that that equity stake purchase should not be the driving the driving number that that kills a deal sure. or, sol- or sells it, right? For us, we're more interested in the upside, right? right? So if, if it comes down to like a 30 grand swing one way or the other, it's like, at the end of the day, I'm really buying the upside in this company. I wanna make sure I'm giving you the most credibility uh, or the most generous offer I can, yeah. without it being a pure donation.
1: Yeah, because you're, you're, you're valuing. You're basically saying like, "Hey, we see and appreciate what you've what you've done to build it to this point." No
2: one should be valuing yeah. it more than we do, right? Yeah. If you think about it just conceptually. We were talking before the call about aligning incentives and how sometimes a moral hazard can creep in. And despite the good intentions of different actors, it's really the, the architecture or structure of a situation that can draw um, kind of bad, bad outcomes. Yes, right. This is a good architecture, a good structure to say, um, if you're ever going to sell a portion of your company, you should sell it to private equity. that has a domain expertise in what you're trying to achieve and is willing to take an active role in your company. Right. right? That is like that's like the best scenario for you to get the most value for your for your minority sell. Because it's worth it's worth the most to them. Right. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Just, d- just, d- they just know a subject matter they experts, it. Yeah. they know what they can do totally. with it. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's about a three X multiplier on like what the last two year average EBITDA. So,
2: yeah. So you, if you go to a business broker, they'd look at the last three years, average it out and then multiply that by three. Now painting companies are weird. We also just got out of a weird COVID storm. And right. so we, we will always squint at it and say, what is the best offer that we can rationalize? Right. without this being without a pure being donation. A donation yeah 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 totally. right because just i mean just to be open book from us too it's kind of like can we buy some goodwill with that founder and get them hyped and get them excited and it's like sure. i mean as opposed to you're never grinding gonna have,
1: them down to the
2: last yeah, yeah. you're like yeah, i mean the last thing i mean again from our standpoint it's like we're in this these are these are buy and hold scenarios and we're interested in the equity growth and the profitability growth so like and the long term relationship we, yeah, if you grind like you just like you just pointed out perfectly, if you grind that founder down over fifty thousand dollars, you know, who really loses in that situation? You, <laughs> you know, gotta, don't have control of the business. <laughs> you They're gotta the work that guy now. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of that. So we but we like to get that out of the way right away because it, it can be an emotional thing. We like to come at like, hey, if you want to get a third-party valuation, go free. You know, go for it. They're gonna do the exact same thing we're gonna do. It's good to hop on a call and say, because what will time find sometimes? I'm sure a lot of business owners can relate. There's a lot of personal expenses that hide profits, right? Uh, so like, um, hey, that 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 trip you took because you were the top salesperson to, uh, to Disneyland with your family, <laughs> you know, is that really a business expense or should we give you credit for that profitability, right? I and so it. you want to kind of pull all those line items to give them the credit that's due to the profitability of their company. Um, after that, so I'll just say that's kind of like the, the first thing we like to get out of the way because it's very emotional. Then you send the operating agreement, which is really the LOI times 20 pages, right? It's right. just... Everything is blown up and and what those conversations typically look like is it's a three-way call with them, myself, and their attorney. And their attorney's going through it and he has he or she has to you know pretend that they add value to the equation. And so they'll say, Oh, you know, this paragraph, can we change it to thee instead of thou? I'm like, sure. <laughs> as long as the paragraph still says that they can't take on debt in our you know you guys are laughing, as long as the paragraph says that you can't take on debt in our name. Write it however you want. I don't care as right. long as it says that. And, the, and the, then the attorney's like, yes, I'm very valuable. I'll redline this and, yeah, and change a few he's keywords. He's got to get
0: paid. And, he's got to do something. He's got
2: to get paid. And, and again, I'm, I'm all for that, right? Let's, let's do that. But those are typically how those calls go. Yep. From there, it's come visit us, right? And if there's another decision holder or decision maker, a or spouse or, or a partner, come visit us. And I always tell people, just I'm a, you should come visit us to make sure that uh, we're not a shell company and everything I post online is not Photoshopped. Right, mm-hmm. just come visit us. Make you know, see the team, meet the people, do like a partnership. We call it a partnership preview day. Right, so meet the team, find out how we run the business. Right, peek behind the curtains a little bit because we're going to do the same thing when we come to your business. Right, mm-hmm. we're going to want to come see what you have going on, talk to your key people. There likely is going to be a Q. And, there will be a q and A involved, <clears throat> so they're going to have some key people that'll say, "Hey, what's this? What's this holdings company that you're selling a minority interest in, and why are you doing that?" I'm going to just clear my throat for a minute and we'll cut that in post post post-production.
1: Yeah. So the, 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 the the key is I think like you've got people coming to visit you first and then, (laughs) and then after that, then you'll, then you really do your due diligence, but you've kind of opened up that relationship there so that you can go there now and and have a really good due diligence session with them. Right.
2: And part of those, part of those meetings and those visits is just relational. It's to say like, do you really want us in your life? And do I mean just to be open book? Do we really want you in our lives? And and a lot of it can happen remotely and it can happen over emails back and forth and the strategy and the planning and the due diligence. But a lot of this is relational. And it's like, let's just get some time together to get to know one Sorry. another and just make sure you see, you know, what see our hearts, see why we're doing this, see what our, what we're passionate about. At the same time, I want to get to know you. Just make sure, do you really want to partner with us? This is this something that you that you truly do believe in? Because uh, I'm going to be in the leverage position and you're going to be in the driver's seat. So I got to know that you really want this. And a big part of it is just relational. But us but- going down there to meet the team, a lot of that is a Q&A experience where it's, hey, what's going on? Why is this holdings company visiting us to potentially take a minority interest? And it's like, well, hey, here's what, here's what we've done. Here's our story. Here's what we're doing. And just so you know, we're interested in scaling this company to stability. And that means a lot of opportunities for the people in this room. People typically get pretty excited about that. And and um, that's really what due diligence looks like. Mm-hmm. right? Then if we're all feeling good, we'll craft a plan together, decide an annual budget that includes the roles, goals, and comps of the key players, including the founders, sometimes for the first time, right. having a real job description, a real compensation plan. and then uh, <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> and then if we're all feeling good, we sign the operating agreement. And then craft out what's the next ninety days of onboarding look like, right? right. Practically, what are the recruiting needs? What are the uh, the tasks that need to happen within the company? Uh, who's doing what? Um, but that's what that's what the full due diligence process looks like. Yeah,
0: right? this is a lot more beefed up than I met a guy at a paint store and I liked him, <laughs> and he's got a van and he wants out of his business, so I cut him a check for thirty k, oh. and now I own this company. It's oh. like that's that's typically I think the you know the the degree yeah. to that's, which things are analyzed and it's 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 really helpful to just kind of hear you go through top to bottom well philosophical alignment are they open to partnership uh let's let's have a valuation done let's craft a letter of intent operating agreement two visits they come to you you go to them you know build a vto i mean this is this is a drawn out process with 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 lots of getting to know each other uh opportunities along the way
1: yeah. Um, I just want to clarify one. I've got one kind of big question in that, in that whole process. Yeah. It's it's such a well laid out um, explanation of how you guys do, do due diligence. Here's my one main question. Uh, when you get to the point of doing a visit into their business, right? So this is not the one where yep. they come to you, but where you go to them, give me like one or two examples of major red flags that you might <laughs> see at that point. Like where, like, what are you looking for of like good and or bad, and like specifically though, like what would make you put the deal on hold or cancel it that's right a great there? Question.
2: Yeah, I'd say um, like honesty or transparency is mm-hmm. probably be big. so. If that is breached or like broken, they've been that's painting a, a
1: picture, and then you go there, and you're like, "Whoa, yeah. what's going on here?"
2: Yeah, and I think, and I, I try and do a good job of this in our first philosophical call, which is we're not coming this to this deal expecting that there are no skeletons in the closet, right? We're expecting for this to be a project, right? And that's why we're not coming in as dumb money. Where you're just loaning loaning cash and we're coming in as an active investor, and you know that honesty and that transparency piece, we're we're really vulnerable. Just to be, we're very vulnerable in this equation. So if we get out there and there's there's not honesty and there's not transparency, that's a red flag. It's really hard for us to 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 move on in that scenario. I'd say I, th- I just can come back to it. The primary thing we look for is relational though. It's gonna be relational mm-hmm. and in ego and philosophy. And like, okay, is this person really open to change? Are they really open to taking a minority partner? Is this someone I actually want in my life? Like, like did they kick their cat when they went in the house and and then like <laughs> cuss at their wife? And I'm like, geez, I'm like, it's a cool business, but I'll be honest, I don't want to spend time with you. Right. And uh yeah. You know, it's a lot of those things more than like, ooh, okay, uh, you know, how many gallons of paint do they have in inventory and are they, are all the, all, are all the yeah. logos faced outward or is the stocking kind of witty wonky? Like, those are not things that are going to make or break the deal because we're coming in yeah. expecting that we're going to have to, you know, fix or polish or professionalize most of the business. We're more looking just to validate, is this someone that I want to engage with as a person? Do I think they'll be a good partner? And is there some momentum that we can latch onto and help professionalize and scale with them?
1: Right, right, okay. So logo's facing backwards, it's okay. Kicking the cat, not so it's good. It's fine.
2: No, right. don't kick the cat. Don't kick your dog, <laughs> don't cuss at your wife. Um, uh, all those things are bad. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay, cool. Um, awesome, uh, t- tell me this. So you guys have done the due diligence process. You've gone through the whole shebang, looks really yep. good um, uh, the, you feel like you can add a lot of value from a values, uh, and from like a personal values perspective, you're very aligned. Um, you're rolling into it. You sign the final operating agreement. Um, typically once you finalize the partnership, what are the systems, the strategies, the yeah. processes that you're typically implementing yeah. to scale what up do you and, do to, from in, there? and to increase profits?
2: That's a really good question. And I'll, again, I'll be open book where like, uh, a handful of partnerships into this. So in six months, I'd probably have like a full um, bell curve of like, here's what's normal and here's what's out, not so outside normal. But I'd say in general, you can start with some basic principle things that I think are going to translate to all of our partnerships. And the first one is planning. And so we go off of the the VTO model or traction as yep. it's called. Mm-hmm. And so building that that kind of big picture VTO, are we all aligned on where the company is going to go? Our, our, our values, our strengths, our weaknesses, the next three year, five year picture. And then what is our one- year goals the rocks the developmental rocks we need to do and then our, our annual budget right with the roles goals and comps the annual spend who's going to do each item that's this task and the and the needs of the company for the year so planning is in some ways a very underlooked part of running a profitable mm-hmm. painting company and that's one that we found pretty consistently that it's usually not completely absent but like probably every every element of a company that's going through um, adolescence it's not to maturity. Right. So we come in and help bring that to maturity. Um, implementing our playbooks. So Paris Painting is a, an eight-figure painting company. It runs off of systems and processes that are through playbooks. And then we provide that to our partnerships, very open book. Here's something that we're actively using. And again, we really like this model of partnering because it's not um, not to bash any other models, but it's not, here's a, here's a playbook that somebody wrote in the, in the 90s right. and uh, no yeah. one ever actually used you and, guys are uh, you're
1: actively using in your very right, serious so these are the business, ac- yeah.
2: these are the actual playbooks that we hand to our employees and our function leaders drive the business through to run a stable and profitable com- very profitable company right we so there's that then there's also like the we have a, what's called a learning management system or an lms which has all the key roles and then the key competencies to help kind of speed up the learning of each person in their role you still have to do active coaching. That's you know arguably 80% of learning is through active coaching. Yeah. Uh, but that first 10% you know, going through a learning management system. And then the last part would be our, our ERP, right? our custom software. And so right. uh, four years ago, Paris Painting, we were kind of looking at the landscape. And we said, you know, we're, I think we're going to go the custom route. That is a little bit more of like the things that I enjoy. So that's probably why we did it. And we did have this vision of a holdings company. So Paris Painting runs off of a custom ERP. We call it Wology because The genesis was this giant scheduling wall they used to have in the office that was like a physical wall, We turned into a digital wall because the ceilings couldn't get any more taller. So I couldn't grow the company anymore. And uh, (laughs) so anyways, it's called Wallogy. It's our custom URP. And then we we give that to our partnerships as well.
0: it's so wow. interesting. Man. Like it's so like everything that you just ran through might call it different things, but it's so similar to what we do with Breakthrough Academy. 100%, it's like yeah. literally like, okay, there's no clear strategic plan here for the long term. There's no annual yeah. budget. There's no quarterly rocks. Let's do that first. Okay, now you need some playbooks, you need employment agreements, you need standard operating procedures, you need job site checklists, you need you know, call scripts for things that happen in the office. There's all sorts of stuff that needs to be sort of yeah. bolted onto the existing business. Um, then there's coaching that happens cause they need skill development and a learning management system helps with that. And then there's a software component too. Like it's very, very, very aligned. It's, it's just interesting. You know, we've sort of come to the, completely different paths, come to yeah. roughly the same conclusions around what these businesses what it need takes to, to scale. Go, yeah. yeah. So, um, I'll just, uh, kind of cl- maybe close on this question, which is, yeah. uh, uh if someone's listening to this and they're driving in their truck or they're watching this on youtube wherever they are and they're kind of thinking man this like this jason guy's pretty smart sounds like a really interesting idea i've not i've not thought of that before but now it's on my radar um what is your general advice to an entrepreneur who is playing around with the idea of buying another business
2: Yep. Um, So, we talked through quite a few good things, which are philosophy, ego, open to change. Is it something that you believe you can make an investment in, but then also affect the outcome of that investment? I would also say, you know, a lot of partnerships fail because people are not architecting them in the correct way. So, I keep coming back. It's probably one of my favorite things to think about. Um, Isaac Asimov wrote a series called The Foundation Series, uh-huh. and I read that a ton when I was a kid. And it's just this concept of like, there are things that you set in motion that they're going to have natural consequences and kind of an inevitable end to them. And a lot of partnerships get structured in a very unstable way. And so, just thinking through how you do that, I'll give one great example, which is um, a basic paradigm principle of your profits come through equity and your compensation comes through energy and effort. And that those are two different things. Right? Hmm. And so here's a way that partnerships get get set up that is kind of a an unstable architecture, an unstable structure. You have you know two guys get together, they're 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 great buddies, they're great friends, they both work super hard, and they say, hey, let's start a painting company. We're going to be 50 50 partners. You do the business side, I'll do the painting side, and we'll split the profits. And it's like awesome, right? And they have a good first year. It's it's super fun. You fast forward 10 years later, one guy is leading a crew of three of three people, right? Because he's the lead lead crew. And then there's another guy. Uh, who's the other partner? And he has reporting to him, the VP of production who manages five crews, uh, the VP of sales who has six sales reps. You know the finance department, admin department, and uh, but they're both getting paid the exact same right. profits. Right. That's one of them is going to wake up someday and say this is kind of weird and this is kind of awkward. And right. a good principle to establish a firm foundation and partnership is to say we're going to split the profits because we are both shareholders of this company. We're going to get paid a wage depending on the tasks that we're doing in our business. Yeah. And I would just say for myself and my partnerships that I have, um, we have a president at All Foldings who is ultimately, ultimately responsible for the profitability of what we do. Right. He reports to the shareholders. Uh, he gets paid a lot more than I do, as you know, whatever that kid is that I do all day. Right. Play with play with memes and and do podcasts. <laughs> um, but we both share the same amount of equity and we split the same profits. Right. right. But it has, there has to be that open dialogue and that, that acknowledgement that different roles are going to get compensated differently when you, when you form, form with partners. And this, so that, that'd be my first piece of advice that kind of general principle and, and just kind of the wisdom of architecting something healthy. Uh, maybe that's like one A. One B would be having a healthy rhythm of valuing your company every single year, not knowing uh, when an inciting incident will happen. And so, this is something I do with my partners. Every December, we get together, we, we decide the value of the shares and the different investments we have. And uh, you know, I'm always thinking, you know, gosh, if, if my partners die next year, I would actually really like the price to be low that I purchased. That would be kind of advantageous for me. But then I, I wait a half second, I say, but what if I die? I'm like, hmm, well, then I want the price to be high. And what ends up happening is you, 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 just, you agree on what's fair, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't know which side of the coin you're going to be on because you're making these decisions before you have to. Mm. Right, where things get awkward is you have, again, those two partners that got together. Ten years later, uh, one of them wants to, you know, Mike Rowe called him and said, I want you to be a partner. And Mike Rowe works. And he said, great. I'm going to sell the, my, the interest of my company to my partner. And he's like, hey, let's sell it. And then all, there's this big disagreement on what it's worth, Yeah. right? And you can imagine which side wants it high and which side wants it low in that scenario. And uh, so that'd be 1A, 1, you know, 1B. The second thing is just, do you both want the same thing right and there are different there are different objectives in running a company you know one person may say you know I want to be the most craftsmanship oriented uh, company in our in our local area and we're going to you know really hire people and they're going to stick with us for 30 years and we're going to do everything with the finest you know lambskin brushes and all these all these things and the other partner may say I would like us to be exceptional at our profitability Right, and we're gonna we're gonna scale, and we're gonna create what's well, a stable asset. So we both have the option and the choice to step away from the company should we choose, and it'll still produce a profit. And uh, that's gonna be my primary driver. You now have two partners that want different things. Yeah. Right. So one a is set up. One is set up a healthy architecture to your partnership, and then two would be make sure that you and your partner both want the same thing.
0: I love that point about the architecting the yeah. the, the relationship, and I think you have said it so articulately and so succinctly and when you say it it seems so simple it's almost intuitive and yet the opposite is what ends up playing out 99 times out of 100 we see it like literally every month in BTA that one where one partner's literally running a pretty sophisticated organization the other one's running a crew it's like ah there's an imbalance here given that we're both we're both 50-50
1: owners it's it's because people aren't taught right like so much of this stems just perfectly the way that Jason painted it which is like hey like you like to paint i like business like we should we yeah. should do the thing right yeah. um, but it yeah it comes down to the fact that that a lot of people just aren't Taught, and it's the same thing that that they aren't taught how to build tr- strategic plans, how to define roles and compensation structures and goals for different people. And I think that that's really the huge benefit of, of being able to be working with someone that has the foresight and the forethought of what is going to happen two steps ahead, twelve steps ahead. Um, and that's such a huge benefit of of this kind of work that that that, that Jason and, and Olive does, and and being a or being a part of Breakthrough Academy, it's like. You, to have someone beside you that is a couple steps ahead is, is super valuable. Yeah. And, um, on that note, Jason, it's, it's just really cool, man. Like just in closing the work that you guys do is so interesting because you not only make that financial investment into it, but you take that active role. Like it's easy for me to go out and buy, uh, you know, Facebook or meta shares today, right. but to take an active investment role, um, and, and to put work and, and my intellect behind the money is, is a whole other thing. So, um yeah, what you guys do
2: is amazing. That's really cool, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate and appreciate you guys helping uh, spread the awareness.
0: Where can people find out more about you and Olive, Jason?
2: Yeah, they can go to Um You can also find me on the social media channels. My name is Jason, last name Paris, like the city in France. And uh, those are probably... My, the social is probably the best way because I'm a typical millennial and I can't stay off those things. So
1: you'll know that you found him if it's the dude with the mustache.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw right. uh, we'll throw a link to the website in the in the description as well. I, I do really want listeners to kind of, it's a beautiful website, really descriptive, explains everything well. So go, guys, go check out Jason, his team at Olive Holdings. And um, man, thank you for doing this with us. We will absolutely be teeing you up for another one of these at some point a year from mm-hmm. now you were a great guest. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. It was
1: awesome. Love guys. See ya.
0: Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.